Two weeks ago, we started talking about encounter. We talked about the idea that, that when Jesus encountered people or when people encountered Jesus, their lives were changed. That an encounter with Jesus Christ meant something was different about you. And we looked specifically at the man that was running around the graveyard. This guy that was howling, that was cutting himself, that we presume was probably naked because later it tells us he's got clothes on. And we find out that this guy was possessed by demons. And the only way that his life was saved was that Jesus took those demons and cast them out. The demons, they called themselves legion. Jesus took those demons, cast them out, and put them in pigs. And those pigs all went and drowned. But you see, that encounter changed that man because he went from running around a graveyard, howling, cutting himself, to being dressed and sitting in front of Jesus. Yes, Reed. No, go ahead. So, like, how does, like, demon possession happen? Like, how does they select I don't know. I'm not a demon. I couldn't tell you. That's, that's a good question. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, and we talked about this two weeks ago. Demons and God, Holy Spirit can inhabit the same space. Scripture tells us that when we belong to God, we're gods. Satan can't get a hold of us that way. Now, how do they pick people they inhabit? I don't know. I, I don't, I've never experienced that or met someone who was possessed. I don't have any knowledge about that. I don't know about that. Yeah, you're talking about movies. Real life? No. Can you have angelic possession? Do you see anywhere in Scripture where angels possess people? Hey, we had a question about angelic possession. That's nowhere in Scripture. Holy Spirit's already there. Why would the angels need to be? Yes. Go do what you got to do. Okay? Well, we talked about, we looked at this man specifically, and we talked about the idea that when you encounter Jesus, when people have an encounter with Jesus Christ, a real encounter with Jesus Christ, they are changed. That man specifically, he was changed. He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to get up, get in the boat with him, and go. But Jesus, what did Jesus tell him? No. Jesus said no. He said, you have a responsibility to stay here and tell everybody else what has happened. You see, when we encounter Jesus, we're changed. We should want to follow him, but we also have a responsibility to tell everyone around us about him, about what he's done, about who he is. That's what happened to this man, and that's what can happen to us. And tonight we're going to look at another encounter. We're going to look, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. So in your Bibles, on your phone Bible app only, turn it over to Luke chapter 17 and we're going to start in verse 11 tonight we're going to look at not just one person that encountered jesus but 10 10 people at one time uh-oh 10 people at one time that encountered jesus and were healed by jesus and it starts over in luke chapter 17 verse 11 and what's interesting here gang is not the fact that they were healed okay they met jesus pretty good chance they're going to be healed but what's interesting is how Jesus does it and their response when he heals them. That's what we're going to pay attention to tonight. That's what we're going to look at. So let's jump into it. Chapter 17, verse 11 in Luke. It says this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. 
Okay, so we pick up here and we see that Jesus is traveling. We don't know where he is. Scripture doesn't tell us that. It just says he enters a village. Now, Jesus, he moves a lot. He doesn't spend a lot of time in one place, so it makes sense that we continue to see him going around and around and around. And as we, do, as we see this, we see that he's traveling between Samaria and Galilee. Now, that's, that's significant. The area that he's in is going to play a role in what's going to happen here, so remember that part. And as he comes in, he meets 10 people with leprosy. Now, have you all ever known anybody that has leprosy? You Googled it? Have you ever seen pictures of people that have leprosy? It's What's that? Jack right there, okay. Leprosy is, is kind of gross, guys. It's nasty. Leprosy makes your skin, you get boils on your skin. Your skin will flake off. You're, yeah, maybe. It's the beginning stages. I don't know. Your skin will flake off. Your hair will start to fall out. And at some point, guys, it goes so far as your limbs start falling off. You lose. That's, that's a whole different thing. We're talking about leprosy. You didn't lose any body parts from shingles. This is, hold on, this is not share time. I don't think you want to tell everybody that. Okay, let's just keep that to yourself. <laughs> We're talking about leprosy. In fact, the Old Testament talks about leprosy. It's in Leviticus. You guys ever read the book of Leviticus? Oh, it's so hard to get through because there's so many laws and requirements. What's that? Have you read it? It's rough stuff, isn't it? In Leviticus chapter 13, in Leviticus chapter 13 in the Old Testament, there were guidelines in God's word about how to deal with leprosy. In fact, if you read through Leviticus chapter 13, one of the things that it says you have to do, if you think somebody has leprosy or if you think you had it, you had to go to the priest so that the priest could examine you. And here's, let me just read you some of the things that, that the priest was supposed to look for. The priest was supposed to look for white spots, hair falling out, boils on the skin, and it goes and lists about 15 different things that this priest is supposed to look for. And as the priest is looking for this stuff, you realize real quick that this is, put that away. We don't want to see a picture right now. I intentionally did not show you a picture of that. It's not. Nah, it's good. It's good. As the priests are looking for this stuff, you realize real quick as you're reading through Leviticus 13, this is gross stuff. This is not something that you want to have. And if you are found to have this disease, life got pretty lonely for you real quick. Because it tells us in Leviticus 13, verse 45, listen to it. It says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So if you had this disease, number one, you were not allowed to be around people. If one of you had leprosy right now, you couldn't be in this room. You'd have to be outside. You weren't around, allowed to be around your family your friends, the only other people you were allowed to be around were other lepers because you're not going to catch what they've already got. And if there weren't any other lepers around you, you were all by yourself. This was, this was a lonely thing. They were basically outcasts in their own community. You know, chances are, you know, we, we hear about people 
having problems now, and, and every once in a while you hear somebody make a joke and they'll start making fun of people, pretty good chance these people got made fun of on a pretty regular basis. You little kids running by, hey, at least I've got my nose. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I know, it's wrong, isn't it? But you know what? We make fun of people for things, don't we? Little things. No, we make fun of somebody for wearing the wrong pants or hat or shirt or shoes or having the wrong haircut or no pants. Yeah, that's a problem too. Haircut. But guys, these people, they had problems. And then Jesus comes along. And when Jesus comes along, we don't know what they expected. We don't know what they knew about Jesus. But the only thing it tells us that they say to Jesus is, Jesus, Master, help us. That's what they're crying out to him. We're going we're to read that in a second here. It says in verse 13, it says, They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now understand something here. This area that Jesus is in right here, Luke, when he's writing this book, he notes that this area is between Galilee and Samaria. This is a significant issue because the people in these two regions didn't get along. Jews and Samaritans, they're not friends. You know, most of the times in, in, in the old Jewish society, if you referenced a Samaritan, you probably got a pretty negative response. And we're, we're not talking about just like a college football kind of rivalry thing here. We're talking racist issues. I mean, we think of a rivalry and we think, okay, hey, we like Florida State. Let's make fun of Florida. Hey, how do you get to Tallahassee from South Florida? You drive north till you smell the stench in Gainesville and hang a left. You know, we make jokes like that. Or, hey, how do you get an FSU graduate off your lawn? Pay him for the pizza and he'll leave. See, we make jokes like that. Thank you. Somebody laugh. Thank you, Lauren. I appreciate it. Or you give them crab legs and they'll take off. I should have gone with that one. Free Seafood University. What's that? Hey, I just made fun of both. It's okay. It's all right. It's, hey, if it makes you feel better, I didn't graduate from either one, so I can make fun of them. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, this wasn't a rivalry, gang. This was a problem. These are racist issues going on here. Samaritans and Jewish people, they don't like each other. We think of some of the issues that we might see today based on skin color, based on language, based on where you live, and how people will hate on other people just because of who they are. That's the kind of thing that happened here between Jewish people and Samaritans. That's going to matter here in just a few minutes as we get further into Scripture. But as we get into it, you see in verse 13, these, these people, they're saying, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These guys are yelling out to Jesus. At some point, somehow, they have to have heard something about Jesus. Because most of us, most of us aren't just going to yell out to some stranger on the street, Hey, I need your help. You know, they, they had to have somewhere, somehow, heard something about who Jesus was. You know, Jesus is traveling. Jesus is doing miracles. Jesus is preaching. He's starting to have a reputation that goes before him. And clearly that reputation has gotten to this town ahead of time because these men are yelling at him, Master, have mercy on us. Help us. Heal us. This phrase tells us that they believed Jesus had the power to do something about their problem. Before they ever talked to him, they had the belief that Jesus could take their situation and make it different. 
Because, see, what they understood here is that when you encounter Jesus, you find hope. Jesus, merely by walking into this village, gave them hope before he had ever done anything, before he had ever said anything. His mere presence gave them hope because they didn't know him. They hadn't talked to him. They hadn't seen him perform miracles, but they knew his reputation. You see, guys, when we encounter Jesus, think about Think about all of the things that are going on in our world right now. Think about all of the things that are wrong with our world. The crime, the murder, oh, sex trafficking. I can't even name, <laughs> my mind's just going crazy with so many different things. All of the things that are wrong with our world. Think how hard it is to have hope. And yet, we do. Because if we know Jesus Christ, we have hope. Because, see, we live in a world that sin has taken and sin has twisted and broken and distorted and caused all of this garbage to happen, and we see it every single day. And I don't know about you guys, but if I'm looking at that, I think, where's the hope? What hope do we have for a world to be any different than it is, to be any better than it is now? And I don't care how much good stuff we do. I don't care how nice we try to be to people, how many different things we try to do to help people. All of that is great, but all of that is still a problem. Because if we are imperfect, sinful people, then the hope can't be in what we do. The only hope that we have for our world is Jesus Christ. That is the only place that we find hope. Because he is the one that is perfect. He is the one that can fix sin. He is the one that can take this world that is wrecked by sin and make it whole again. And see, these men, without even thinking about all of this, understood that Jesus is where hope is. And a question I have for you tonight is, is your hope really in Jesus? And we say it is, but do we really believe that? Do we really live it out every day when dumb little things start going wrong in our day and we get mad or angry or upset? Is our hope in that thing or is our hope in the God that created that thing and has control over that thing? Where's your hope? That's what I'm asking you tonight. Not where do you say it is, but where do you live like it is? Where is your hope? These guys... Their hope was in Jesus Christ because they knew he could do something different. He's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that paid the penalty for sin. He's the one that came back to life and conquered sin and conquered death. And that's the hope that we have in him. That's the hope that these men found before they even realized what they had found. There was hope in Jesus. And it keeps going here in verse 14. It says, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Okay, we need to understand something very significant that just happened here. Jesus looks at these men. Now, this is significant in itself because these people are ignored. They're put out. They're left alone. Nobody wanted anything to do with these folks. You know, there's times I've, I've done a little reading and I've read different parts about people that work with, with homeless groups. 
ministries that work with homeless people. And these ministries have said that one of the biggest complaints, one of the biggest things they hear from people who are homeless is that everyday people on the street won't make eye contact with them. It's that when we are driving in our cars or we're walking down the street and we see somebody that's homeless, we've got a habit of doing this. Or looking down at our phone or acting like we're talking to our friend and we don't make eye contact with them. And they say that is the number one thing that makes them feel alone. That is the number one thing that makes them feel like they're not human because other people won't acknowledge their existence. That's what's going on with this group. They're a group of people that everybody else doesn't want anything to do with. And it says right here, Jesus looks at them. He saw them and then he talks to them. And what he says here, go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Yeah, Jesus stops, he looks, he talks, and this statement that he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. This again is where you have to go back and read scripture a little bit on your own. In Leviticus, it talks about why these guys needed to go to the priest. He says in Leviticus, in 14, if you look at it, it gives you the process because if you had leprosy and you thought you were healed, you had to go to the priest and the priest had to declare you clean. But for you to be declared clean, there was a process for it. And it basically went like this. You go to the priest. The priest declares you clean after he's inspected you. Then you had to sacrifice a bird and the blood of that bird had to be sprinkled on you. Then you had to wash your clothes you had to shave off all your hair, and you had to take a bath. Then you had to take an offering of lambs and grain and flour and oil to the priest. And the priest does all kinds of things with this. Now, here's where it gets even a little more weird. When he kills the lambs, some of the blood from the offering is put on your right earlobe and on the thumb and the big toe of your right foot. And then you had to do the same thing with the oil. And then when they took what was left of the oil and poured it on your head. All of that, after the priest says you're clean, then you have to go through that whole process to actually be clean. That's weird. Yes. This says shave off all your hair. Eyebrows, arms... This is after the leprosy. So there's a pretty good chance you may not even have any hair at this point. Remember back, back before when we said when you're declared to have leprosy, you have to let your hair hang down. So you're not cutting your hair. You're, you're looking a mess. You're looking nasty. You're looking gross. So, yeah, you basically get to start all over. Hair, clothes, everything. It's weird. And what's interesting, though, what's interesting is if you continue to read through Leviticus, they even took into account the idea that there were going to be some people who didn't have enough money to buy all of the lambs and, and the grain and the oil. And then it gives you directions on what you're supposed to do if you couldn't afford those things, how you went through and became clean. You see, this, this was a serious thing, and it sounds kind of weird. But you see what Jesus was going for here and helping them understand and what we need to understand is that when we encounter Jesus, he desires our obedience. 
He told them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. He could have looked at them right there and said, guys, ladies, you believed in me, you're healed. It's done. And they would have been clean. But you see, Old Testament scripture gave them guidelines. Old Testament scripture gave them expectations. And Jesus is instructing them, you need to be obedient to God's word. You need to be obedient to what God's word says. The Jews, they had all kinds of rules. Jesus chose these. He said, this is what you need to pay attention to. The unexpected part is how these men responded to Jesus. What does it say they did? I read it. He said, go present yourselves to the priest and... I'm going to say, since you got your Bibles open, you should be able to read that. They went, and they were cleansed. But catch what happens here. They weren't healed when they started walking away. They were still lepers. It says they went, and they were cleansed. They were not cleansed until they obeyed what Jesus told them to do. You see, that's what I meant when I said Jesus is looking for their obedience. It says right there, as they went, Jesus did not heal them when he saw them. Jesus has not healed them when he spoke to them. They were healed as they obeyed the word of God. Guys, that's important for us. Because there's a lot of times, a lot of times that we will, we will say, okay, God, I want to know your will. God, I, 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 want, I want a desire to read your word more. God, I want to know you better. And God will look at us through his word and say, then obey me. If you want to spend time in my word, if you want that desire, then get into my word and spend time in it. If you want to know my will, do what I've already told you to do. You know, I've, I've had students before and say this to Miss Kathleen and I, you know what, I wish, I, I believe the exact phrase was, when I come to church, I feel like I've heard all this before. I just wish God would show me something new. And the question is, what have you done with what God's already shown you? Have you been obedient? These men, women, we don't know what they were. They could have looked at Jesus and said, but wait, 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 hold on, Jesus, I'm not better yet. I'm still a leper. I'm not healed. But they didn't do that. They obeyed. They took God's word. They took what Jesus told them to do, and they obeyed. They wanted healing, and they got it because of their obedience. What is it you want from God tonight? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get it, because sometimes the things we want from God are not the things God wants for us. But I can tell you right now that if we actually get into God's word and we obey, if we actually take what his word says and we apply it to our life and live it out, then we will have the things that God wants for our life. And the desires that we have will start to reflect the desires that God has for our life. You see, these guys, when they encountered Jesus, Jesus simply wanted them to just obey. And when they obeyed Jesus, they got what they were hoping for. This chance encounter, they experienced the healing, and it was a result of their obedience because they listened to the word of Jesus and the word of God, and they obeyed their obedience brought the change they were asking for. Is that true for your life? Do you know God's word? How many of you read the Bible? Okay. 
hopefully all of you, how many of you obey what you see? Yeah, see, that's kind of a half hand up, half hand down kind of thing at best because we all struggle with that, every single one of us. But that's what God's asking for. You know, Scripture tells us we're supposed to love one another. That's a command from God. But then it also tells us that other people will know that we love God by our love for each other. You see how that works? We love other people so people know that we love God. And we do that because God commands us to do that. I know sometimes people look at the Bible and say, man, it's just another book of rules. God wants me to do this. God doesn't want me to do that. But you know what? There is freedom within those guidelines. Because we know what is good for us. And we know what is not good for us. And as we seek to obey God, we have freedom. That's why scripture says Jesus came to live life so that we may or live so that we may have life abundantly. Because there is more freedom inside of God's obedience than there is in anything the world could ever offer you. And these men, these women, whoever they were, they obeyed. But then look what happens next. We're about to jump back to that whole Samaritan Jewish thing. In verse 15, it says, Then one of them, then he saw, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Okay. Remember where he is. They're in this area between Galilee and Samaria. Jewish people and Samaritans, they don't like each other. Ten of these people were healed. And it says one of them came back and fell at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. Not only did he come back, he fell on his feet, fell on his knees in front of Jesus and was praising him was worshiping him, was thanking him for the healing that he had just experienced. One, one person out of ten. And look at Jesus' response. He says in uh, verse 16, it says, Now he was a Samaritan, verse 17. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except the foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. You know, Jesus says, hey, guys, th- there were ten of you. Where's everybody else? Now, Jesus, when he does things, Jesus never demands a thank you in Scripture, does he? You never see him say that. Hey, I healed you. You need to thank me. I'm Jesus. I'm God. Get on your knees right now and worship me. Jesus doesn't do that. But remember these, remember these people, they were begging for mercy. They were outcasts. They were living outside the city. No one wanted to be around them. Their bodies are falling apart, and Jesus heals them of that. And only one of them comes back. And the fact that only one of them came back, the idea that that one was a Samaritan. The one of everybody. Now, we don't know this. Scripture doesn't say this, but scholars believe that he was the only non-Jewish person that came that was in this group of ten. I believe that they were all Jews. You know, the people that worship God, the people that recognize Jesus, or at least some of them, and none of them came back. 
And and this is this is what had to freak people out at that time. Remember, they don't like each other. Samaritans in stories back then, guys, they were the bad guys. They were the villains. And Luke makes it a point to record that the only one that came back was a Samaritan. You see, sometimes when we have an encounter with God, and we talked about this a little bit two weeks ago, things are going to happen that we don't expect to happen. It'd be like... <laughs> It'd be like us showing up at church and actually feeling like we felt God. And actually feeling like we had experienced God by being at church. I know sometimes that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But if we actually had that, and then it came time for us to worship God, one person standing up and actually worshiping. And singing or praying or getting on your knees out of a whole group. One person. You see, when we encounter God, guys, it should produce worship in our life. And it saddens me to say this, and maybe I'm wrong. But if our lives, if there's no worship in our life, are you encountering God? That's a hard question you got to ask. If, I, if I'm not worshiping God, and I don't mean you're standing up and you're singing on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings. Yeah, that's part of worship. I'm talking about talking to God. Doing what Scripture says. Be still and know that I'm God. Just being alone with God. Being quiet. Spending time in His Word. If our lives aren't reflecting worship, then our lives aren't really reflecting God, are they? And that's a scary place to be. And I'll be honest with you. There's times I've found myself there. And Miss Kathleen will tell you, I'm not a nice person to be around when I'm there. Because I can tell a difference. Guys, is your life reflecting God? When's the last time you experienced worship? I'm not asking this. I'm not condemning. I'm, I'm, I want to ask an honest, hard question. When's the last time you felt like you worshiped? God where was it why was it and do you want to be there again you see these guys these ladies they came face to face with God and one man realized what had just happened after they were obedient after they were healed the other nine best as we know they went on to the temple they did the ritual they did all the things they had to do by law to be declared clean. But one man came back because he experienced God face to face. He worshipped him. And he was clean. Are you worshipping in your life? Does it reflect God's presence in your life? Does your life reflect the encounter that you've had with Jesus Christ at some point? You see, guys, there's, there's so many stories in Scripture. There's so many accounts of how Jesus met and healed people. And time and time again, we see that their lives are changed. This man, his encounter produced three things in his life. It produced hope. It produced obedience. And it produced worship. Are those present in your life? 
think about it for a second. Do I have hope? Where is my hope? Is my hope that I'm about to graduate? Is my hope in the fact that I might get in the college I want to go to one day? I might get to keep playing baseball, football, in the band, whatever it is. Is my hope in whatever politicians are in office right now? See, because every one of those is going to let us down. What about obedience? Am I obeying God? What has God told me? Is there something in your life tonight you know God has said, hey, you need to get rid of that. Or hey, you need to pay more attention to this. Or hey, this is distracting you. You, you, need, to, you need to push that aside. Or hey, you just need to get into my word. What is it God has told you to do that you may be ignoring? And have you worshipped? When is the last time you worshipped? Guys, I'm going to tell you right now. I am not a crier. Miss Kathleen will tell you that. I don't like to cry. My eyes sweat on occasion, but I don't like to cry. But I can remember times in my life. <laughs> starting to do it right now. Sweating. I can remember times in my life where we've been somewhere at a service and I've started to cry just because I know God's there. And guys, <laughs> I tell you this on a regular basis, I know God wants to do something with this group. Something more than we're doing. This past week, SALT team, we went to Leon High School. Don't look at me like that. And you know what? Some of you guys did some things you've never done before. <laughs> but your mere presence and those shirts that identified you, they made an impact. I had more than one coach who was walking up and down the sidelines and let a couple choice words fly, come to me afterwards, and apologize to me. Guys, they don't do that. But it's because you guys went out and served, expecting nothing in return. You were the hands and feet of Christ. You made an impact in your community. Guys, that's incredible. That's the kind of thing we need to do more of. There are thousands and thousands of middle schoolers and high schoolers in this city that don't know Christ. And we do. We have the chance to do something about that. We have the chance to leave this building and spread that word about who Jesus Christ is to all of those students and teachers, and administrations. And guess what? I can do all the work I want to do. I can try to get into as many schools as possible, and I do. I've been in three of them this week. But what's going to make the impact? It's you. The people that you talk to, the people that you share with, the people that you introduce to Christ and serve. I know that's kind of off topic of what we were talking about tonight, but guys, that's just, that's where my mind and my heart is right now. Has your encounter with Jesus given you hope? Have you been obedient to God? And when's the last time you worshiped him? Those are the questions I'd like to ask you to ask yourself.
when you leave here tonight. Because I can tell you right now, if Jesus is your hope, if you are obedient to the word of God, you will experience worship. And you will want to tell other people about it. And you will have the opportunities to tell other people about it. You just got to look for them. Okay? That's kind of where we're going to end it tonight. We're done a little early. Do me a favor. Y'all hang out in here for about 10 more minutes. Okay? Let's just keep it in here because they're still going downstairs. They're still going across the road here. And uh, I don't want you guys flying out of here to go get something to eat really quick and get hit or hit somebody. Okay? So hang out here for a few minutes. Let's pray. Hold on. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you. Um, I just want to thank you. God, I want to thank you that, that we can look at your word, that we can see how you've changed people's lives. God, I pray that you will continue to give us hope. I pray that you will be the only hope we have. God, help us to obey. Help us to, to, to spend time in your word. God, give us a desire to worship you. Give us a desire to obey you. Give us a desire to know you so that we can share that with other people. God, help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to continue to go out into this community across the street, right here where you've planted us, and show people the love of Christ. God, there's no reason this church, this local body right here at 3000 North Meridian Road can't have five, six, seven thousand people here on a weekend or a Wednesday or during the week because that many people are coming to know you. God, I pray that you will help us to be a part of that, that you will allow us to be a part of that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.